I'm pretty sure the year was 2010, maybe 2011. I remember it was a warm summer night, a Saturday night. I know it was a Saturday because back then I was really working hard at memorizing my sermons on Saturday nights. And, and uh, with three young children at home, I would often find myself going into the church building because it was quiet there on Saturday nights. And, and on this particular evening, the sun had not set yet. It was the summer, right? So the, the sun sets late and there was a nice little breeze, still warm, but I found myself sitting in a in a folding chair that I carried out to the portico, the front porch of, of the, the church building there in front of the sanctuary. And just as I got started uh, looking over the sermon, this is one of those Saturday nights where I actually had it written and I was just trying to memorize and not finish writing it. Um, there was a sweet gentleman that rounded the corner on the sidewalk. And as soon as he cast his eyes up the stairwell to where I was seated, I immediately knew who it was. Before I saw his face, the the older gentleman I saw walking up the sidewalk, it struck me um, he stood out because he was wearing a three-piece suit. And I can remember thinking, it's there's breeze, but not that much. It's still kind of hot out here. That guy's got to be hot. And then when he looked up at me, I realized it was Phil, Phil Hart, an old, old friend of Tabernacle Baptist Church, uh, a son of Tabernacle Baptist Church. Phil, I said, hey, how are you doing? And I'm not, I'm not sure if he recognized me or not in the moment. It was pretty clear that he was confused. And um, just the same, he smiled. He looked up at me, and I came down the stairwell and joined him on the sidewalk. And after talking a little while, it was clear to me that he was, he was lost. He, um, he had arrived on Saturday evening thinking that it was... Sunday morning, sometime back in the 1940s, he had gotten all dressed up to come and serve the church. It was a beautiful moment. It was also a very sad moment. And um, as I as I think about that encounter with him that evening, some of the details are fuzzy even me for me now, all these years later. I don't remember a lot about the conversation. I just remember looking in his eyes and seeing a young man in an old man's body in a three-piece suit. First time I ever met Phil Hart was uh, the uh, late spring of 2004. It was the day that Tabernacle installed me as pastor. I didn't have any context to know who he was. Um, at the time, I'm sure he told me that he had actually served as, as one of the associate pastors at Tabernacle and had been connected for years, but there were so many people there that day with so much rich history. The only thing I remember about my first encounter with Phil way back when in 2004 was the encouragement that he offered me seemed so incredibly genuine, and I can remember him specifically talking about how much he loved this church and how he was rooting for us. True to form, from what I would later learn to be true about Phil time and time again, he was a man of his word. He would write these handwritten words of encouragement to me that would arrive in the, um, in the mail, and it always seemed like God had 
had, had sent them through him at just the right time in a moment that I really needed some encouragement or to remember that I wasn't the first young man to, uh, to struggle with not knowing what to do. It all started for Phil at Tabernacle way back in 1948. On Easter Sunday of that year, the church had called and and uh, on that particular had called a new pastor. And on that particular Easter Sunday, Reverend Jack Rixnoffsinger started his tenure at Tabernacle. He had been the director of religious activities at the University of Richmond and was called into the pastorate at Tabernacle. And the church at that time was already just thriving. And it is under Dr. Nossinger's leadership that you see Tabernacle really in her prime as far as just numerical growth. But it was actually the Sunday after Dr. Nossinger came on as pastor that the assistant pastor showed up, a young man, a seminary student from Southern Seminary in Louisville named Phil Hart. Phil was born in this tiny little town called Dendron, Virginia in Surrey County. It is a tiny little town in southeast Virginia, somewhere between Norfolk and Petersburg. Uh, The 2000 census says there are about 297 people that lived in that small town back in 2000, and I would imagine it was even fewer people way back when, when Phil grew up there, the son of Edward and Osi Hart. Phil would actually move to Richmond to become a university student. I'm guessing that's where he first encountered Dr. Nossinger, maybe? I don't know, but I know that when he went to Southern Seminary and he returned to Richmond to become the assistant pastor, he was a young, young man, and he told me he was a young, insecure man. It was clear that he didn't know what he was doing. He was very aware of it, but the church would hear nothing of it. He says that in those early days, the church just loved on him and, and let let him practice ministry with them, with so much grace. Phil Hart would go on to say that it was in those formative years and his early years of ministry that Tabernacle made an investment in him, not only Dr. Nossinger, but also just droves of leaders at the church at the time and all those young adults that worked with him were just constantly reminding him that he had been given a gift by God and he was using it in a way that was helping other people become the disciples they were called to be. It was under Phil Hart's tenure as assistant pastor, along with other good leadership at the time, that Tabernacle's young adult program thrived. It's under Dr. Uh, Dr. what would later be Dr. Hart's tenure as assistant pastor that Maymont Chapel was birthed, something that he was very involved in. That was this tiny little church plant over in the Maymont neck of the woods of the city uh, that, that would serve as a ministry outpost of sorts for Tabernacle. Interesting enough, that's where Mary Melton came to us. As a child, she went to Maymont Chapel, and years later when she and Nelson moved into the city, she connected to the mother church of that chapel, Tabernacle. Those were good years, Phil would say over and over again in his encouraging words to me as he would remember so very well God's activity working and moving among a church that was bustling with life. In June of 1951, specifically June 24th, Phil announced that he was resigning as assistant pastor. He is feeling called to go into mission service in some 
remote corner of the world, not sure, not sure which one he was being called to yet, but he knew he needed more training. He launched off to Columbia University. It was a sad, sad day that he announced his resignation. Matter of fact, it actually came, I believe, the day after the pastor announced that he was leaving to go to another church. That must have been a devastating blow for Tabernacle way back in 51. And whereas Phil thought that he knew what it was that God was preparing him for when he left, it was only when he would return to Richmond about four years later that he would reflect that whereas he had no idea what it was God was calling him to, he thought he knew, it was very clear God had prepared him for what was next. And what a journey it was. He ended up going from Columbia to the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. He served as a a chaplain, as a captain in the United States Air Force in that time period. And then he ended up full circle right back in Richmond where he became a religion professor at the University of Richmond starting back in 1956. It's there at the University of Richmond that Phil became a religion professor uh, and, and stayed there for 35 years, retiring as Professor Emeritus. His family would say in his obituary um, after Phil died years later that that he was um, the university's foreign student advisor. That was the title at the time. Phil worked with international students from all over the world, and I, I love that. I love the fact that this young man that launched out to go serve in the corners of the world would end up only going a you know, a handful of miles away from where he had been before when he first launched out for mission service. He came right back just a few miles from Tabernacle, and it is there that he ministered to and beside students from every corner of the world. He was a recognized scholar at Oxford University, a visiting scholar at Harvard Divinity School, a visiting professor at the University of Durham, England. He served as an interim pastor in multiple churches in Virginia and actually served at Tabernacle in multiple capacities, sometimes as a volunteer, sometimes actually as an interim uh, pastor of sorts at Tabernacle. You name it, Phil did it. But if you were to ask him, and I did at times, what it is that he thinks of when he looks back at his long, distinguished career, what he will point to is the mentoring that he received in those formative years of his faith development and development as a pastor. And I don't mean only at Tabernacle. I mean also all of the different places before he came to us and certainly after he left. He just always spoke of the people that made an investment in him, that made it possible for him to make an investment in others. I share this with you today just as a word of encouragement that God has used the fill hearts of this world to invest in so many of us. And in turn, I have seen you all do the same with so many that have come behind him. You did it with me as a wet behind the ears first time pastor. There's something in the DNA at Tabernacle that just embraces holy, this idea that we were designed to equip and send, that we are part of something bigger, and that the sacrifice that we do in the investment of people only to send them out into various corners is one that always brings love back around full circle. When I think back at that hot summer night when I encountered the confused old man after 
connecting and being sure that he was uh, back safe again where he needed to be, I can't help but to smile in the sadness and in the difficulty of that moment. I also know that when I think about it most clearly, what I remember the most is the peace in that young man's eyes, in that old man's body. Peace from knowing that he could always come back home again. And now on the other side of his death here, um, you know what, golly, gosh, like eight years later, he died in November of 2012, all these years later. I can't help but to smile knowing that he's home, home now. And I can't help but to feel challenged and encouraged by the torch that is passed to me and you alike as we find a way to equip the next generation to serve and to love, to welcome and engage with brothers and sisters from all over the world. Blessings, friends. Blessings.